Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word to learn about how His church is to be organized and accomplish His work. The lesson you're about to hear took place on one of our second Sunday nights. If you've listened to many of our second Sunday night sermons, you know that that's our night for answering questions that have been submitted by the congregation or even by some of our guests. We're going to be dealing with one question in the lesson you're about to hear. What do we mean when we call ourselves a non-institutional church? This is going to deal with God's organization for the local congregation and how we're supposed to accomplish our work. So please open your Bible and let's learn how Christ's church is to accomplish Christ's work. What do we mean when we call ourselves a non-institutional church? On the second Sunday night of each month, of course, we offer this question and answers, questions that have been submitted by members of the congregation beforehand, sometimes even by visitors. If you have any questions that you would like dealt with on this particular service, you can find the forms to fill out on the table that's right there on the way out of the doors. Just fill it out, drop it in the box outside my office, and we'll be more than happy to deal with that question if we can. Tonight we're going to be dealing with one question. What do we mean when we call ourselves a non-institutional church? As we consider this question, of course, I remind you, as I do every second Sunday night of the month, and really I want you to realize this about all the lessons that, are, that I ever teach, obviously I can be wrong about anything. And perhaps I'm mistaken and misunderstanding some things. And tonight I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this issue of institutionalism. If you think that I'm wrong about it, if I've missed anything, just let me know. I'll be more than happy to study God's Word with you and be happy to take a look at what the Bible says about how the church is supposed to work and how the local congregation should organize and accomplish its work. The very first thing as we consider this question, I want us to note the nature of the church, giving just a little bit of background regarding the church that will help us understand well, kind of the background for this question, the background for the issue of institutionalism. If you will, look in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. When we look in the Scripture, we find out that the Bible uses the term church in two similar but distinct ways. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it talks about the church, and it talks about the universal church. This is the universal body of all the saved, of all Christians, of all times, of all places. It is a universal group of individual people who make up that universal church of Christ. But then we look at a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, Paul, as he writes this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes our brother to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Clearly, this is talking about a church, and yet it distinguishes it from the issue of all the people who call on the Lord. And so we have the local congregation discussed here. This is a local group of people who assemble together regularly under a common oversight using a common treasury in order to accomplish a common work. And that's what we see 
discussed here. And so as we look at the New Testament, we find the church, word church used in two different ways. One is that universal body of Christians, and the other is a local body of Christians that have agreed to work together. Some things we need to remember about this. The universal church, described there in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, is made up of individuals. It's the universal body of individual people. It is not the universal body of all the local congregations. It is not some kind of organization that is made up of churches. In fact, when we get into the Scripture, we never once find any kind of example of congregations banding together to form any kind of organization. You have the local church, God's institution to accomplish His work. You have the universal church, which is all the people everywhere who are, who are sound in the faith, who are in Christ, who have died to their sins, been baptized for the remission of those sins, and are living faithfully, and that's it. When we take a look at the local congregations, we realize that they did not attach themselves in any kind of organization. They didn't attach themselves to any other congregation. What we find is that they were autonomous. That's a fancy word. It's a word that you need to remember, but all it means is, is self-governed. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, Peter said, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, it goes on to describe that oversight. But what does he say to the elders, the pastors, the bishops? He says, you shepherd the flock among, excuse me, among you. Well, who is that flock among you? In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, we find out who the flock is that the elders are among. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. In Acts 14 and verse 23, Paul had been going on his missionary journey. He went out with Barnabas and started all these churches. And then they were on their way back. And in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, When they had appointed elders for them, where? In every church. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They appointed elders in every local congregation. And so what do we find? These elders are shepherds in these local congregations. Who is the flock among them? Why, it's the local church among which they have been made elders. And so what we find is that elders are established in a congregation to govern that congregation. They are not given authority outside of that congregation, and they are not allowed to pass off their authority to somebody else. That is, the elders' responsibility is to shepherd that local congregation, and that's it. Now, when we consider this concept of autonomy, it would stand to reason that as they're, here we are autonomous, completely self-governed, not connected with any other congregation in some type of organizational fashion, and there are all kinds of other churches that have taken that very same approach to their congregational work. That's the pattern they're following. It stands to reason if all these autonomous congregations use the same standard and use the same standard the same way, what are they going to look like? They're going to look like each other, aren't they? For the most part, we're going to work the same way. We're going to worship the same way. We're going to teach the same thing. Why? Because we're following the same pattern. But there is the rub. Most congregations claim to use the Bible as their standard. But not every congregation uses the Bible in the same 
way to establish authority for their work. And because of that, even among churches that teach the same basic gospel message about Jesus' sacrifice and how we obey it, there have crept in differences between those churches. One of those differences is called, by us, institutionalism. So that while we are autonomous, and we ought to all be following the same standard, looking the same, there are these differences. Some practicing institutionalism, and some, like us here at Franklin, who claim to be non-institutional. But understanding this nature of the church will help us recognize what God wanted us to do. Institutionalism. I want to begin by defining institution. An institution is an organization, establishment, foundation, society, or the like, devoted to the promotion of a particular object, especially one of a public, educational, or charitable character. This is what the word institution means. Do you know what that means about the local congregation? Do you understand what we are then? We are an institution. We are an organization that God has instituted. Don't we do this? We're a society or the like devoted to the promotion of a particular object, especially one of public, educational, or charitable character. We're all about education, aren't we? And depending on the concept of charitable, and we can certainly fit in there as well, though we recognize the church is not intended to be a welfare institution for anyone and everyone. But that's what the church is. That is the institution that God has established in order to accomplish His work. Do you remember what His work is? In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul talked about the church of God and says, here's what the church of God's job is. In 1 Timothy 3.15 it says, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. God has set up His institution, the church, the local church. He has set up the local congregation. I think. There. He has set up the local congregation, and that local congregation is supposed to do the work that He has given it. What is that work? To uphold the truth. To lift it up for everyone to see, to take the Word of God and to get it out there for everyone to know and understand and to follow. That's the job of the local congregation. It does that, as we've already said, under the guidance of elders. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, Acts 14, 23. We recognize that those elders... Those bishops are men who meet certain qualifications that are appointed to that office of leadership within the congregation. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is the fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and on it goes, defining these qualifications for the elders or the pastors or the bishops. Titus chapter 1. Beginning at verse 5, Paul says to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if a man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, on it goes and talks about those 
qualifications. So what we find is, here's the institution that God has established, the local congregation. He's provided a government. Elders within that congregation that rule over the work of that congregation because they have met certain criteria and qualifications and have been appointed to that office as leaders, as shepherds, as bishops, pastors, overseers, elders within the congregation. Let me just remind you, for all those who may have forgotten, I am not a pastor. I am not an elder. I am not a bishop. I am an evangelist. We have several elders, pastors, bishops, but I am not any one of them. That's not my job. My job is to evangelize, to teach the gospel, to proclaim the good news. Perhaps one day I'll be qualified to be a pastor as well. But please remember that and don't introduce me to any of your friends as your pastor here at the Franklin Church because that's not what I am. But God did establish these pastors, these bishops, elders, overseers, shepherds within the flock of God. And they are to rule over the work of the congregation, to oversee it. And they are not given the responsibility to oversee anything beyond that, anybody else's work, any other church's work. And they're not given the authority to pass their work off to some other group of people. Now, someone might say, well, if you've said that the church is an institution, isn't that institutionalism? No, not as we define it. When we have defined, and please keep in mind that the term institutionalism is not a Bible term. It's a term that folks among churches of Christ have picked up to define a particular issue. And the issue is, is that instead of just allowing God's institution to do God's work, men have created other institutions as a go-between, between the local congregation and the work that the local congregation is performing. You might call it a middleman. It's a middleman organization. The church would send funds to that middleman organization, and that middleman organization would then decide how those funds are going to be dispersed and then decide how to do that work. Now, you might look at this and say, well, that's, that's extremely silly. Why, why on earth would we do that? Why not just let the congregation do its work? Why start up some other organization in between the congregation and its work? Here's why. Because most folks will tell you, the real problem is, is that churches individually and autonomously and all by themselves, why we just don't have the resources to be able to do all the work that needs to be done. And so what we'll do is we'll establish this kind of institution right here, and what it will do is it'll start soliciting funds from all kinds of congregations. And then we can pull those resources from all those congregations into this one central organized body, and that group of men and women or whatever will be able to determine where all those funds are going to go. And boy, doesn't that just sound great, and doesn't it sound wonderful, and won't we be able to do all kinds of more work by establishing this middleman organization that can start soliciting funds from all these churches and get it all together in one central pile and then start distributing it to accomplish the work. And that may sound good. It may sound nice. In fact, to a lot of people it makes a lot of sense. I mean, after all, we have a hard time making our budget every week. Maybe if we could just send a few hundred dollars to some organization that was taking care of all that for us, it'd be easier on us. I wouldn't have to be constantly talking to you about giving more. The only problem we have is when we go to the Scripture, we don't find this kind of organization. We don't find the churches working like this. Let me just give you some illustrations. As you all might believe, and you probably will not be surprised to hear, I like preachers. Preachers have a special place in my heart. 
And I want preachers to be supported well. And so what I want to do is I want to start supporting some preachers from out of my own pocket. And then I realize, you know, I can do even more. You know what? I better back up because I'm about to get ahead of myself. Let's go to that illustration in just a minute. See, when the computer messed up, it just threw me completely off. There's two, I do want to point out to you two things that are not the issue before I start giving you my illustrations. Two things that are not the issue. The existence of this institution is not the issue. For an institution or some organization to be developed that accomplishes a work that the church is authorized to do, that's not wrong. For instance, the church is authorized to teach the Word of God, correct? But so are you. You are also authorized to teach the Word of God. And so if you, as an individual separate from the direction of the church, want to start getting some people together and start saying, you know, let's work on teaching the Word of God. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get some teachers. We're going to start producing some materials. We're going to meet at this building that I've built. And we're going to have some teachers and some administrative staff. And we're going to call it a school. And it's going to be all about teaching the Bible. Then that's fine. Because you're authorized to teach the Bible. You're authorized to do that. So the issue is not that this institution exists. Secondly, the issue is not whatever words we might be able to put here. I don't care if you put on here teaching the Bible. I don't care if you put on here feeding the poor. I don't care if you put on here relief of needy saints or if you put on here having a Super Bowl party. I don't care what you put on that side of the institution. The issue is not what the work is accomplishing. Obviously... A church is not supposed to be involved in work that is not authorized for that church. Right? I mean, that's clear. If you can't go to the Scripture and, all, and see that it's authorized for the church to do, the church is not supposed to be doing it. But even if you can look at this work and prove that this work is authorized for the church to do, that is not the issue. The issue is that this institution, not that it exists, not that the work, whatever this work over here is, the issue is that this institution stands between the churches and the work they're supposed to be accomplishing. The issue is setting up some type of board or some other group that's going to accomplish the work of the local elders by overseeing the funds that are collected. That's the issue. Now for my illustration. Y'all remember, I like preachers. I want to support them. And so, I start sending money to some preachers that I know. After uh, I, I start getting supported more myself. But I start sending money to preachers. And then I think, you know, I'd really like to do more. So I, I go to Charles and say, Charles, I've been sending some money to some preachers over in, in Africa. Would you like to help out? And he says, yeah, that's great. And I go to Steve and say, I say Steve, I, I'm really wanting to support some preachers in Africa. Would you like to help? Yeah, I'd love to do that. In fact, I go to several people. And then one day it occurs to me, you know what? You know, here I am running around from one individual to another individual to another individual. You know what I could do? I could just set up this organization and I could start soliciting funds from churches and then I'll be hitting whole groups of people all at once and won't that be awesome? So I go and I file the paperwork and I start my own nonprofit 501c3 organization and we'll call it the Edwin Crozier Preacher Support Institution. And what I do is I start calling churches and say, y'all send me money and I, look, isn't it a good work? Isn't it a good work to support preachers? Y'all want to support preachers, don't you? So what you need to do as a congregation is send my organization the money and then I'll take care of supporting the preachers for you. 
Won't that be awesome? Take care of the legwork. You won't have to follow up on the preachers. I'll go find out what they're teaching and whether or not they're teaching the truth. I'll take care of all that for you, my little organization. I'll have my secretary and, and my accountant and all these people will start taking care of these things for you. All you have to do is collect the money and send it to my organization. And then I'll send it to Paul and Peter and Apollos. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? And think about all the money we could collect. Oh, goodness. And think about, boy, we could distribute it better and we make sure that people aren't over, uh, aren't overlapping and we'll be able to keep up with what they're getting better and people won't be lying to us so much. We won't have to deal with all that. And, and David, you and the elders won't have all the headache. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, doesn't it sound good? It does sound good. Until we start going to the Scriptures to try to find authority for this type of organization and method for work because we can't find it. I want you to consider some passages. When we look at the Bible, we find passages like Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 22. Paul says, for this reason, as he's writing to the Romans, he said, for this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Paul's saying, I'm on my way to Spain, and I was thinking I would stop by and visit you, brethren, the Roman congregation, so that you could help me, so that you could support me and send me on my way and help me get to Spain. We also have 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8. Notice what Paul says there. He talks about his work in Corinth. He said while he was there, in verse 7, he said, I didn't charge you guys at Corinth about this. What I did, in verse 8, he says, is I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. He, he, churches gave him money, supported him to accomplish his work. And finally, look in Philippians. Excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 14, Paul says... Philippians 4.14, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. In fact, if we were to back up to chapter 1 of Philippians and look at verse 4, this is, this is just very interesting what he calls this. As he talks about in verse 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He says to the Philippian church, you guys have participated with me in the gospel. Why? Because you were sending these gifts to me. You were supporting me. And so what do we find as we look at the New Testament churches and how they took care of supporting preachers? We see that they sent the money in all these passages. Just talk about what happened with Paul. They sent the gifts directly to Paul. They didn't establish some middleman organization. They didn't have the Apollos Preacher Support Institution. They didn't send the money to James back at the Jerusalem church and the elders there and send it out to everybody. They didn't send it to Rome and say, well, they're kind of the head church and the Roman church will then send out the money to everybody. If this congregation wanted to help a preacher, what did they do? They sent it directly to the preacher. Let me point out to you, brethren, by the way, there are a whole lot of people, when we say that we're not going to do this, oh, y'all are just opposed to missions. 
Uh, you, oh, you don't know how many folks will call and they want to try to find out what shade of church we are. Are you all opposed to missions? And I just play down and say, oh, absolutely not. We send money to all kinds of preachers when we can. We're all for it. It's not opposed to missions. See, that's the issue. It's not, it's not what's over here. This is not the issue. The issue is, in Scripture, you just don't see this sort of thing. What do you see? You see local congregations sending directly to the preacher to help take care of Let me give you another illustration. Y'all have no idea what a good wife I have. My wife is really good, and she loves people. She has a heart for people. She is far more compassionate than I ever am, and she constantly reminds me. But see, she, she wants to help people. And she likes, especially brethren that are in need, she likes to help them. And, you know, give them, if they need some finances and we can afford it, she wants us to be able to do that. But not only that, she wants to, to do nice things for them that, that maybe don't cost us money. And so, so she trains up Tessa to clean houses for widows. And she trains up Ethan and Ryan to cut the grass. For, well, actually, she expects me to train them up to cut the grass. But uh, we're going to get them trained up to cut the grass, starting at our house, but then sending them to your house. So they start helping those who are in need. And then one day it occurred to her, you know, I'm really not a comp- I mean, it's good that I'm doing this and that I've got my family doing this, but you know, if I got some other people involved, this could really help. So she, so she came to Wesley and said, Wesley, could you cut some people's grass for me? And Wesley said, sure, I would love to do that. And she went to Kenny and she said, uh, Kenny, can you do some handyman work for us? I know some people that need their, their roof put on and fine. And she went to Tina and said, Tina, can you sew some clothes for some of the widows and be like Dorcas? And she said, yes, I can do that. And then all of a sudden what she says, you know what, but what we really need is what, what we really need is more funds. And so she starts asking folks for money. And then she decides, you know what I could do? I could hit these big groups called churches. And they could start supporting money. And I'll set up my own little organization. We'll just call it Marita Crozier's Needy Christian Relief Institution. And so she starts sending up these churches. She said, well, you guys send us money. And you'll send us money, and what I'll do is I'll help take care of the widows, and I'll take care of the Brotherhood Tsunami Relief over there where they're having that problem, and I'll get some Christian handymen that are out there, and we'll just have... And listen, I'll take care of it. All you've got to do is raise the money, send it to my institution, and I'll take care of the work. My organization will take care of the work. And doesn't that sound nice? I mean, think about all the good that we could do. If somebody would just step up to the plate and do that organization and get workers and get people involved and organize them and solicit the funds and then distribute it and have an accountant that takes care of all that, and really, it would just make it easier because then, Don, you wouldn't, as the elders here, would not have to worry about finding out where all the needs are. Why, Marita's, Marita Crozier's Needy Christian Relief Institution is going to take care of that for us. All we got to do is tell the people here, give us money and the contribution, we'll send it to them, and they'll take care of that work for us. Won't that be awesome? Once again, it all looks good until we turn to the pages of Scripture to try to find out, is that the way they did it in Scripture? Because that's not at all what they did in Scripture. In fact, I want you to look at a few passages here, please. Look in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. 
In Acts chapter 11 and verse 27, Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. What did they do? They sent it to the elders of the church they were helping. They sent it directly there to the folks in need. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they'll go with me. He's saying, get this gift together, because we're sending it to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was the place that was having the problem. He wrote in his second letter about this same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning at verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. He said, Now, brethren, this is a lengthy reading, just follow along with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter. For this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Here this is referring to the same gift that was talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But I want you to notice, it's the idea that here, the Macedonian church, what did they do? They, they begged to be a part of this. Why? We want to support those saints. And he's saying, you at Corinth, you need to do the same thing, and you're going to give it directly to them. Why? Because they're in need and you're not. You'll be able to help them someday when you're in need. They'll be able to help you. But what's going on? The church there is sending their gift to those who are in need. One more passage, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Beginning at verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well. 
uh, let's skip to verse 9. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she's brought up children, if she's shown hospitality to strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they've set aside their previous pledge. What's going on here is there are widows in need. And Paul is describing those widows that can be put on the list. This is not just some type of general benevolence that somebody has a need. This is talking about putting them on a list or on a role where the church is taking care of them. Because they have now pledged themselves to say, I'm not going to get married. I'm going to devote myself to prayer and entreaty for the saints. And that's it. And so they put them on the... But, but I want you to notice what happened. The church sent the money to the needy widow relief fund. And it sent it to the widows? No. The church took care of the widows directly. What do we see here then in the New Testament? We see something different. I mean, this looks different than this, doesn't it? The church is sent directly to those who were in need. Now, I want you to notice. You know, this concept of why one church doesn't have enough. Well, nobody said one church is the only one that's going to be doing it. All the churches are going to be doing this kind of work, but they're going to be doing it autonomously. Autonomously, They're not going to be setting up some type of organization to control or govern their work. They're not going to hand over their work to some other elders at some other church who's now going to control it. They're going to take care of their work. And when all the churches are doing this, work is going to be getting taken care of. Now, as we look at this, I will warn you that there are a lot of folks that take a look and say, oh, wait a minute, some of those verses showed Paul, and the churches gave the money to Paul, and Paul took the money to Jerusalem to take care of it. Why, see... There it is. It was Paul's needy Christian relief institution. And so we can have our institution. I hope that just by reading it, you can see that's not at all what was happening. Paul was simply the messenger. Paul informed the churches of the need. And Paul was the mailman they used to get it to get the gift to where they needed. You know, even if you have this institution, I know here I am, or here Marita is in Spring Hill. Somehow the church is all over the nation to get into her needy Christian Relief Institution, they've got to get the money to her somehow, don't they? How are they going to do it? Well, today they're probably going to mail it. If we didn't have the mail system, though, they'd probably get a messenger, and they'd ask him, you take this to Spring Hill, Tennessee, and make sure Marita Crozier's needy Christian Relief Institution gets this money. Right? That's what they would do. And then when Marita decided, or her organization decided who it was going to go to, she'd have to get a mailman or a messenger. Now, you take this here, and you take this one there. That's all Paul was. See, they didn't have an institution. They just said, we know where the need is. We know where the need is. It's over here in Jerusalem, the specific examples we were looking at. Uh, We know where the need is. Paul, you take the funds for us and you take care of it. He was the mailman. He was the messenger. That's it. He was not an institution that was built up to govern the work of providing for the needs of saints that were in desperate straits. You see the difference there? And so, what's the point? The point is... This is what we find in Scripture. That's it. We don't find this. We don't find this. We find local churches doing and funding the work. And that's it. That's it. And so, why do we call ourselves non-institutional? Because of this verse right here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What do we learn from this passage? We learn that every good work 
we can find authorized in Scripture. If we can't find it authorized in Scripture, what's that mean about whether or not it's a good work? It's not one. And so, because of this verse right here, we go back to this and realize, okay, we see this in Scripture, we don't see this. So, as nice and as, as wonderful as I think this is, I can't find it authorized in Scripture. So, what do we do? We do this right here. And that's it. Because if we can't find it authorized in Scripture, it's not a good work. We talked a little while ago about, you know, the, the problem is not that everybody's using the same standard. Most of us are. The issue is how do we use the standard? My father-in-law, some of you know Steve Bobbitt, made a comment to me one time that I thought was really profound. So, you know, the difference in so many churches today between those who will be non-institutional and those who will be institutional is that for those who are involved in things like the institutions, they say, if it's a good work, it must be scriptural. Those who, who won't do those kind of things say, if it's scriptural, then it's a good work. You see the difference? A lot of folks will look at anything and say, oh, this is good. This is nice. This is wonderful. And when we, with our wisdom, start talking about how good it is, and then we start trying to find Scripture for it. That's the problem. What we need to do is find Scripture for it. And then we'll know whether or not it's good. I was once told by somebody that most of the time we make our decisions emotionally, and then after we've committed, we start trying to use our brain to justify it. And that's exactly what happens so often. We take a look at things like this institution, and we, we think emotionally about it and how great it is and how wonderful and oh, how nice and, and what a great way it would be to get work done. And then we commit to it and then we start trying to justify it logically with our brains and going to Scripture and finding it. But we can't do that. We need to make our decisions based on Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's make our decisions based on this. And because of that, because we cannot go to the Scripture and find this type of organization, this method for accomplishing the work, we here at the Franklin Church are what is called a non-institutional congregation. Not because that's some type of Bible name, but because it helps distinguish and define a position that we hold on an issue that causes problems among brethren today. And brethren, as long as I'm here, we're going to be a non-institutional church. And as long as the elders we have now are governing us, we're going to be a non-institutional church. And that's, that's just the way it's going to be, because we're going to be a church that follows this. No matter what anybody else thinks about it. I hope that helps you understand. I don't think I see too many guests here, but if, if we do, if I'm missing some, I hope that helps you understand what our approach to serving God is and understand what we're all about and the work that we want to accomplish. If you have any questions about it, I'm more than happy for you to get out your Bible and let's talk about it. Maybe I have missed something. If I have, let me know.
Show me in the Scripture where you can find that organization and I'm more than happy to start allowing it. Let's get together and study the Word of God. I certainly hope this lesson was beneficial to you. I hope it helped you understand God's Word a little better and look at how God wants His church to do the church's work. What have we learned is the institution God established to do His work? The church. How should the local church accomplish God's work? By simply doing it. There's no need to establish a middleman organization. In fact, there is no authority to establish a middleman organization that the church will fund and then that middleman organization take care of the work. If the church wants to support preachers, and it should, then the church needs to decide who, how much, and they need to do the support. Does the church want to help brethren in need? Then the church needs to decide who, when, and how much, and they need to support those brethren in need. God never authorized the building up of another institution to come between the congregation and its work. Let's let the local church do its work God's way. Perhaps somebody gave you this lesson. If so, I encourage you to come to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download in audio format and outline format. Please use those in any way that you believe glorifies God and helps draw people closer to Him. If you have any questions about Christ Church, about the local church, about the work of the local church, or how you can be involved in Christ's church, please give us a call at 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.